Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Edwin Epperson. Ed is a Special Forces Green Beret veteran. He broke into the mortgage loaning space in 2014 on a mountainside in Afghanistan, where he made his first loan to a rehabber in Florida. Over the last several years, Ed has completed well over $100 million in loans, while also loaning $15 million of his own money and capital investors. Within the last 12 months, Ed has made the major pivot to scale trading in the stocks and crypto markets, achieving over 50% returns over the last two quarters and on track to to achieve a 100% return year to date. Ed, we wore two different color berets, but today that means nothing. I'm excited to share the stage with you, brother. Welcome to Wealth Science, dude. I can't tell you how pumped I am to have you on, dude. This means well, a lot. thanks, Jesse. I appreciate that, man. It's it's great to be on. Um, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the past few months, so uh, this is this is a highlight of my of my month is to be on the <laughs> podcast with you. Dude, that means a lot. And I love all the content that you add and, and the following that you're building on Facebook right now is incredible. And, and just everything that you do for the community, dude, like I said, it's a privilege to have you on tonight and for me to, uh, you know, for you to tell your story to the listener base. For, for the people who don't know you, Ed, or, or maybe aren't connected with you, if you want to take a couple minutes and just introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, yeah. So um, as, as Jesse mentioned, you know, as you mentioned, I grew up in the military, uh, joined when I was 21, 9-11 happened. I uh, got us that got that that vibe to defend the country. And so I joined and I was in the regular infantry, um, went into LERS D, which is long range reconnaissance attachments. I worked with LERS, which is a small unit tactic, uh, tactical team for about four years. And then that my time in LERS D, I really fell in love with the idea of small units, um, and I uh, had a big dream of going and earning my Green Beret. So a buddy of mine and I uh, went to selection, got selected. I postponed going to the Q course, which is the qualifications course. It's anywhere from a year and a half to two years, depending on your language and your MOS skill. Actually, I would say one and a half to two and a half years. Um, and, uh, and so I postponed going to the Q course until we got back from Afghanistan, my, my second rotation in Afghanistan. And so come back and then went through the Q course, got assigned to a dive team, uh, went down to Columbia, uh, did two rotations down to Columbia, working with their uh, drug interdiction team, working with their uh, police force and military force. And then we did a last rotation to Afghanistan. So, yeah, I've been around the world a little bit. And uh, unlike where I'm at right now, uh, and I'd almost have to say, even even with what I have done, you know, I'm a... The word side hustle, you know, some some people see it as a negative connotation. Some people see it as a positive, a positive thing. I don't really know whether it's negative or positive, but I do know that I've got a, a full on business in private lending, and I have just really fallen in love with this methodology that we've created in investing in crypto. So 
Um, yeah, it's uh, it, this is a very interesting and unique uh, venture for me because it's, it, you know, looking at the face of it, you look at the risk, right? And the reason I'm in mortgage lending is because I can control and mitigate my risk, uh, my, mine and my capital partner's risk, and I can shift that risk to the real estate investor, the person who's looking to borrow our capital. Well, you compare that to investing in the stock market and even more so the crypto market, you're like, man, that's like completely opposite of what you've been doing. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a journey. And, and like you mentioned, I'm actually fairly new to this in the grand scheme of things. I've only been trading for uh, not even two quarters yet. So just shy of six months, but we've had some really great returns and I really believe in the methodology that we've created. And uh, yeah, we're, we're setting up to launch some really powerful uh, things coming into Q1 of next year. So yeah, I'm excited about it, man. Dude, this is this is super cool. And I mean, I love your story, obviously, the background in special forces. I'm curious, you know, when I think of obviously Green Berets, I think of unconventional warfare and, and, and there's so many different solutions to a problem. I mean, to go about it and stuff like that. I mean, drawing on your SF experience, has that ever, I'm curious, had an influence on you and kind of your investing career or even your mortgage loaning career? Kind of that mentality of, again, there's there's so many solutions to one problem. There's not just one solution. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, actually, and that that's a that's a really good question, Jesse. Uh, I would say that that has helped tremendous. That's been a bedrock of of my ability to push through some you know some bad times uh, that I've had. You know, made some bad loans, um, as well as just really identifying uh, being in that position and having that thirty thousand foot view, and at the same time being able to dive down into the the nitty gritty and and work through the processes to be able to create loans for real estate investors uh, that myself and my capital partners can be confident that, hey, we're lending this money and, and we're going to get it back with a with a good rate of return. Um, I would say that one of the biggest takeaways that I took from the military was, was not being risk averse, uh, but mitigating the risk. And there is a difference. And you will see a lot of people are, are generally very risk averse, meaning they avoid risk. If something looks too risky for them, uh, or even outside their comfort zone of acceptable risk, they'll simply avoid it, whatever it is, whether it's investing, whether it's uh, you know starting a new business, starting a new venture, uh, doing something outside of the ordinary. If they perceive that the risk is too great, they will just avoid it. And so that's called risk aversion. Uh, mitigating risk is recognizing the risk, acknowledging the risk, and then saying, okay, how can I control? How can I cover my downside? And then what risk I can't either control or mitigate, meaning eliminate, how can I shift that risk to somebody else so that I'm not the one assuming that risk? And that's really where I fell in love. I mean, that's what we did in, as a Green Beret. We were always doing that. Anytime we plan a mission, you know, we get in country and it was basically top would just be like, okay, guys, you all, we literally would develop our own mission packages. So we'd go out, collect, uh, collect information, develop Intel out of that information, and then create actionable items on it or actionable uh, mission. So taking that into the investing space was, it was actually just sort of nat natural. It just, it happened. And um, yeah, so th that's one of the main things I would say that I have brought over from my time in the military into the private lending space. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And, and like I said, I, I, I fully believe in any situation, there's so many solutions to a problem and, and your background with that specific organization, I could really see how that could harmonize 
um, to something like private lending or, or real estate or investing in general. And Rangers, you know, are a little more like, you know, smash, uh, you know, hit this raid, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Green Berets, more uh, unconventional, you know, warfare, stuff like that. Um, but I, I find that super interesting. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, with all the cool things that you've done in the military and stuff like that, I mean, you know, and, and I just want to make sure that this was true. So what I said in the intro, you made your first loan from a mountainside in Afghanistan. So where was that like initial vision of like financial freedom or transitioning into the civilian world and, and that bigger idea of like, hey, there's more out there than just, you know, this uniform I'm wearing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say really it was the hand of God just uh, putting me in the right place and, and speaking with the right people. I really believe that I'm I'm at where I'm at in life right now because of his hand of mercy and grace on me, uh, clearly getting through the experiences I've had in the military, but just continuing uh, to allow me to see things that that are happening and then uh, position myself and my investors in such a way that we're, we're we're getting ready to take advantage of the turmoil that's about to hit the world. So, um, and, and part of that is, is in the crypto space, I believe. Um, the, the, uh, I guess, how, how do I put this? Um, I started the journey in 2010. So when I went to the Q course, so the very, let, let's go back to the very first. So I got introduced to real estate investing. Like I'm pretty sure 90% or 99% of everybody got started. They read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I was with the 101st Lurse. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was like, oh, wow. Like my, I, my mind got opened up to this possibility of, uh, attaining financial freedom through real estate investing. And then my first guru course that I ever purchased, which I'm sure almost everybody has purchased a guru course, uh, just for lack of a better word, just guru or some educational material. And uh, mine was Dean Graziosi's uh, Millionaire Rags to Riches or Millionaire Riches or Millionaire Real Estate, something like that. I'm a big fan of Dean Graziosi. I think if there's an educator in the space, like he is a solid, solid man. He's still putting out some good content, but he was my first guy. And so that really got me keyed on to the educational component. I don't know what I don't know, so I need to learn. And then uh, really started diving into, and I tried wholesaling. I think I wholesaled uh, a deal, a property in uh, for uh, in uh, Campbellsville, Kentucky, um, or Campbellsville, uh, Tennessee, and uh, did that one, and then I couldn't do anything, and then we went to uh, Fort Bragg, and I know for any of your listeners that are in the military, and they're trying to figure out a way, how can I get started in the military? It's tough. It's not an easy nut, and it's not going to be something you can just, yeah, I'm just going to do this, because the military is going to demand your time. Like, you will not have, that was that was the biggest hurdle is freedom of time. It's very hard to attain financial freedom when most of your time is being wrapped into whatever you're doing for your day job, right? So for those that are in military or any other high demand uh, career, and you're looking for a way to exit that rat race and attain financial freedom, it's going to be a really big time commitment on your part. And, and if you're married, you absolutely have to have buy-in from your spouse because you're going to be spending a lot of your nights and your weekends pursuing that dream so that when you get ready to exit the military, you have something to stand on. So I went to Fort Bragg going through the Q course. And I said, you know, everybody talks about this. Hey, wherever you're at, get plugged into a local real estate club. And so I went to the local real estate club there in Vietnam and excuse me, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, uh, pet names, I guess. 
so we went there and this guy stood at the back of the room. They did the whole presentation. You know, they had the main speaker and then they did like introductions. And this gentleman was, was standing at the back of the room and he said, any of you real estate investors that are looking for funding for your flips, come talk to me. I'm a private lender. Well, I, along with everybody else in the room, like who better to know than the private lender, right? So go back there, get in a long line with everybody else getting his card. When I get up there, I talk to us, I introduce myself. My name's Edwin Epperson. You know, I'm training to be a Green Beret. I'm a man, like trying to hit all those key points that I think somebody like him would look at me and say, wow, you're a safe bet. Like I want to invest with you, right? And he he smiled and he didn't say this, but this is what I heard. I wouldn't loan you money if you're the last person. On <laughs> and so, you know, and of course, he said it much, much more gently than that. But I was offended and I was like, well, well, why not? I mean, I, I, a, a lot of arrogance, uh, of course. And um, and he went on to explain to me what I now recognize as the three keys to being successful in whatever you're going to do, whether it's investing, whether it's in your career, whatever it is, you have to have these three keys to be successful. Um, the first key is you have to have the time. So you've got to have the time available to dedicate to whatever you're going to do. You then have to have the appetite for education. So you have to use the time that you have that you've carved out, because most people are going to have to do this. They're going to have to carve out time. They're going to have to cut off things that are taking up their time. If you're in the military and you're a single person, whether man or, or woman, you're probably going to have to cut out time hanging out with the bros at the bar or going down to wherever, you know, you're going to have to cut that out and you're going to have to focus in on whatever it is that you're, you're looking to gain education in. And so education is that part that you start dedicating your time towards that education. But after education, you have to take this knowledge that you've been given and not only given, but that you have dedicated your time to getting, you have to take that knowledge and then implement it. And that's really a big step that a lot of people stop at. They, they, they set aside the time, you know, they purchase the courses, they go to the events, they go to the conferences, they gain knowledge and they're getting books and podcasts and all this other stuff. So they're flooding themselves with all this great content and knowledge, and then they fail to take action. And so that experience, you cannot gain experience until you have the knowledge to put to work and you can't gain the knowledge until you have the time. So it's like these three keys that just stack right up one on top of another. And ultimately, you gain the experience by having that ability to step out and take that risk and say, hey, there's something like the juice is worth the squeeze. This is something I can do. So uh, he explained that to me. I just really latched onto that. I took it to heart. Like uh, I, I, thankfully I didn't have my pride and arrogance didn't just like block my ears. And so over the next year and a half while I was there, you know, when I did have a free month on the day that they met, I went out there and talked with them. And so he eventually asked me a question that really changed the trajectory. Remember at this point, I'm still thinking fix and flip wholesaling, something like that. But he asked me a question that changed the trajectory of how I was thinking about investing in real estate. And that was, Ed, have you ever thought about becoming a private lender? And I thought, well, that's a novel idea, but I'm not a trust fund baby. I didn't grow <laughs> up with money. Like my mom and dad were hardworking Americans, like many, many people's uh, dad, uh, parents. And, you know, we didn't have, we weren't sitting on, you know, a, a mansion up on, on the hill, right? So, you know, I thought that that's a novel idea, but no, I've never thought about it primarily because I don't have the money to do private lending, right? And I think the mistake that a lot of people make is, well, I can't do private lending because I don't have the money. And so he introduced me. He said, I want to introduce you to a few people. So he introduced me to my mentors. It's a, a, a husband and wife in 
Texas, a gentleman in Colorado, a gentleman in uh, Alabama, and a gentleman over in California. And those mentors, and when I mean mentors, we would get on conference calls, they, they were giving me tasks, like they would assign me tasks, and I had to go figure out the answers to that. And so over the course of three years, three years, I studied how to change my mindset because all the information I was gaining as far as real estate investing was focused towards buying property, owning the property, and then you know flipping it or, or rent, holding it for rentals. So I had to change my mindset and the way that I looked at real estate investing really to a lender's perspective. And it is vastly different. Being the lender is vastly different than owning real estate. Um, and so it took me three years to actually be in the position to where when that gentleman sent me an email while I was in Afghanistan in 2014, he sent me an email asking if I would do a loan to him. And at that point, I was I was mentally, I was uh, psychologically, I was spiritually in a position to say, yes, I can take this on, even in Afghanistan. And so uh, the whole process was actually pretty quick. Uh, he sent me an email. I knew exactly what I needed to ask as far as data. So I asked him some data points that looked good. I did some research real quick online. Uh, I sent an email to an attorney that I had already met. So this goes to speak to building your network. If you're listening to the podcast and you know, you're hoping that things are just going to fall in your lap, you're going to go to all these classes and courses and gain all this net education, but then you're just going to sit there and things are going to fall in your lap. You're actually missing the biggest piece and that's getting out and networking, finding people. Uh, you don't know if that person is going to be able to help you do something, if you're going to be able to help them do something in the future, but networking, building those relationships and connections. And so I had done that with an attorney. Uh, he owned a title company there in, uh, in actually Destin, Florida. And so I sent him an email and all of this was done on email, Jesse. None of this was, I didn't need a phone at all. And, and so or I sent an email to a title company or sent an email to the attorney. He drafted the loan documents. He opened escrow and ordered title, drafted, the, uh, sent me the title commitment. I reviewed what little I knew to look at the title. I said, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I know what I'm looking at here. Okay, yes, that looks good. Uh, I knew to ask for a marked up title commitment, which is where the uh, the attorney goes through and says, okay, we will take care of all of this. It's it's actually a pretty important document that a lot of private lenders don't know they need. And, um, and so everything was done. He uh, now... This is the one thing that I had to do before uh, actually uh, do, doing the loan is I had to have somebody in the States to go to the bank and wire money for me because you can't wire money without being there in person. And so I had a buddy of mine from the military and he was able to go to the bank, uh, wire my money in. But I actually did my first loan, not with my own money, because it was a hundred, I want to say it was like a $105,000 loan. I didn't have $105,000. I think I had $20,000 in a retire, in a self-directed IRA that I had rolled over. And uh, so how did I do the rest of that loan? Well, during the three years that I was studying how to do private lending and how to mitigate my risk, I was also teaching myself how to get other people involved in lending with me. And so I had an uncle, I had a, a buddy from seventh group that was there with me, uh, that invested with me. And so we created a trust, uh, and this is actually how I do all my lending today. Uh, we created a 
irrevocable trust specific for that one loan. The investors invested in that trust. I was the trustee of that trust. So I had the uh, legal responsibility and the ability to enact legal action against the borrower if, if need be, which nothing happened. So we didn't need to. And so the trust became the lender on all the loan documents. And then all the investors were settlers in our trust. And so they got paid monthly interest whenever the borrower made their payments. And I did that all online through USAA. And then uh, the loan we got back from Afghanistan the summer of 14 and the loan paid off like late that summer. And I just had this epiphany and, and this <laughs> dream really of, man, I could do, I could literally be on the Bahamas on my laptop, like typing away, making loans. So I'm still working to that goal. Um, uh, and, and I did want to correct also, you said $100 million in loans. I've made a, over 100 loans. I've deployed over 15. Actually, we're approaching 20 million. So I've got just under $20 million in loans, but not 100 million. Not yet. <laughs> uh, if I did have 100 million, I would be on a boat in, uh, in the Bahamas <laughs> right now talking to you. So, um, but yeah, so that's how we did. Uh, that's how I did my first loan. I actually did my first loan uh, with several other investors and I did it while I was deployed. Ed, that that's so cool. And, and thank you for correcting me. But dude, the conditions that you set like years in the making to make that happen yes. was incredible, yeah. dude. I mean, this is absolutely the, the conditions were set years ahead of, of getting the right people lined up, the right networking, the lawyer, your buddy uh, stateside who was able to wire the money, um, setting up the trust. I mean, it's not like this happened in a week or 30 no. days. Or and, like I th and, you know, in today's society, Jesse, you know, everybody is so quick, like everything is so fast, so fast, like you expect it done yesterday. And, uh, and it, it, it took, it took a lot of discipline to continue to push forward and, and just continue to gain the knowledge, even though I wasn't seeing, I was not seeing any progress. I literally, you know, you go to these real estate clubs and you had these, Oh, you know, I just bought a, and I really want to encourage any of your listeners that are, are wanting to get into the real estate space and they're going to the local real estate clubs, which they should be, and they're networking, which they should be. And they're hearing these testimonies of people that, you know, went out and they wholesale a deal and they made $30,000. They went out and did a flip and they made a $100,000 profit. <clears throat> Don't get caught and lost in, in the hype. And not to say that it's false, not to say that it's wrong, but that is hype. I mean, there's a reason that that person isn't standing in front of a room full of people that are potentially going to be paying a monthly payment to the real estate group owner. Uh, so it, it is hype to a degree. Uh, there, You don't know the journey that that person went through to get to that point. I mean, they could have spent years learning how to wholesale and they could have spent thousands of dollars in failed marketing to learn how to do the right marketing. So you know, don't let that get get any any of your listeners down. Uh, and it's hard. It, it takes a lot of discipline. And it takes a group of people around you that are going to continue to push you forward and uh, and encourage you to keep pushing when uh, the cards look down. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, dude, we have people on here all the time who's like, you don't understand like, yeah, like I have $100 million in assets under management, but dude, you don't see the 100 LOIs that got smashed in my face before that or uh, the, the so many times where I got screamed at on the phone and people yeah. don't understand. And I'm curious, I mean, you've already hit the nail on the head, but you know, some people, they get into this, whether it's real estate or just the wealth building space and they start on Monday and they think on Friday, they're gonna be on the beach in the Bahamas I mean, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, the mindset piece that goes into that of, of getting kicked in the face, the failures day in and day out, but keeping that long-term goal in mind. I mean, you know, what are your recommendations to people out there um, who are going through, who are maybe in that rut right now? I'm curious. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to let you know what I think they, they should do. Um, and then I'm going to give you an example of why you need to have this as a primary uh, 
a goal for you if you're looking to get into the wealth building space, regardless of the market. Uh, and we can get into that later. So Simon Sinek does a great, there is like from the late 90s, or early 2000s, Simon Sinek, uh, your why, I, I forget the actual name, but it was a TED Talk. It is by far one of the most inspirational and one of the, the best ways to approach be having a mindset that will push you through those downtimes because believe me, they're going to happen. Um, you're going to come across obstacles and it's going to be every single day of, of your life from the minute that you decide to leave your job and pursue something that's going to, to benefit you and your family for generational wealth. You're going to come across obstacles every single day, whether big or small. And how do you push through that? It is knowing your why, having a bigger reason to accomplish whatever it is that you're setting out to accomplish. And it has to be more than money. And people think that, oh, no, man, my why is getting a million, hundred million bucks, you know, sitting on the beach in Bahamas and having my own jet and like all this stuff. No, it's not. Your why has to be bigger than that. Because at the end of the day, and you have seen uh, there's tons of different reality shows where money is the goal or the money is the prize. And people just they bow out for sometimes the silliest reasons because money is not a driving force. It cannot be a why. There has to be something bigger and greater than money to be able to push you through those obstacles. And I would point to, for me, uh, an instance, it was really the first, it was the biggest test that I had as far as a new private lender. So I, I started doing the business full-time when I got back from Afghanistan. So the, literally within a week after landing, I was out going to going to the local. So we, I was with 7th Special Forces Group. We had moved down to Eglin Air Force Base or uh, there in the Panhandle of Florida, uh, right there, Ranger School, right? Uh, yeah. Third yep. phase of Ranger School. And so uh, we were down there, which is by far probably the best army location for any base. I mean, we were right there with the Air Force, right? So, uh, but they've got a, uh, if, you, if you're ever in Pensacola, they've got a great uh, uh, real estate club called the PIG or the, uh, the Professional Investors Guild. Uh, it's a really, really great real estate club. Uh, Matt is the, is the owner over there and he puts out some really good content. So I was going there. Um, I really started networking within. So when we got back from Afghanistan in October of 2014, I was one year out from my reenlistment. And that's a big thing. And, and in my career, you know, they don't they don't dangle twenty-five or thirty thousand dollar bonuses in front of you. They were dangling a hundred thousand dollar bonus for like a five or a six-year contract. Uh, that would put me into like uh, the indefinite phase, and I would be able to get one more. Uh, if I went more an officer, which uh, several of my buddies did, you know, their reenlistment bonus was 120,000. So, I mean, that was a, that's a big carrot to be putting in front of someone. And, um, and so I was full on committed though. I talked to my team. And so I was on an ODA an operational detachment alpha. It was a combat dive team. And so the very, very high performance, uh, very mission focused. So the minute that anybody on the team is not mission focused, they're going to remove you from the team. And so when I told uh, my team sergeant Carlos, I said, "Hey, uh, I think I'm going to get out and pursue this." He said, "I respect it, Ed, but you can't be on the team anymore. So we're going to kick you down the B team." So I got the B team, which is in Green Beret language, that's like office job, right, desk job. But it actually allowed me the freedom to work at on my hours. I literally, for the entire 2015, I maybe spent a total of three weeks on the compound. I mean, that's the type of freedom that as long as I was doing what I needed to do, which wasn't much because the, the company was constantly deployed. So uh, I literally had an entire year, which again, that that's, that is a blessing. I know that that is a huge blessing for me to have be in that position, 
But during that year, I was able to make 27 more loans. And so I really built, you know, confidence as well as I was able to build that, that uh, bandwidth to do this. So I started doing really full-time by December of 2014. I was doing about two or three loans a month. I mean, I was just steamrolling it. And in April of 2015, I had a, an investor call me. Actually, it was a broker. He brought me this investor. He said, hey, this guy, he's got a commercial property in Minneapolis. And it's like three, $3 million. He's trying to buy out his family. And the bank needs to see an escrow 10%, which would be like 10% down, right? The bank needs to see an escrow 10% of this $3 million. So it would be like three, it was going to be like three hundred and dollars $60,000. And he said, for that, for letting your money sit in escrow, um, he will pay you 15% annual. He will pay you two months upfront and he'll pay you 10 points on the back end. So on an annualized basis, we are looking at almost triple digits. I was like, heck yeah, like that's <laughs> awesome. So I called some investors like, hey, this is what's going on. They're like, absolutely. Like I had people lined up ready to get into that deal. And so um, there was a red flag. And this is one thing I would tell anybody who's getting into any type of investing or even business or anything outside of your ordinary. When you get a red flag in your gut, listen to that red flag, pay very, very close attention to that red flag. So the red flag was the, the borrower was in a different state, uh, the properties. So he needed 360,000, but I don't do uncollateralized loans. So you have to have collateral and the big commercial property that he was buying from his family, he didn't own. So he couldn't collateralize that because he didn't own it. Um, and so he said, well, I've got six properties in Georgia around Atlanta and combined, they're about $900,000 worth. And so I said, okay, well, if that's the case, then yeah, we'll, we'll collateralize those as long as they're free and clear. And so we talked to the attorney uh, who was in Georgia and uh, in Georgia, the, the title and the escrow were actually two different companies. So escrow is simply a function of title. In many states, the title companies can perform uh, escrow. But in this case, in the state of Georgia, it was two separate companies uh, doing this. So I talked to the title attorney and the title attorney said, uh, Ed, these titles on these nine properties are filthy dirty. Red flag number one, I should have yep. just, I should have called my broker and said, hey, we're done. But I, I did call my broker and I said, hey, and I'm not going to say is that we don't work together anymore. Um, I said, hey, the, these these titles, the, the attorney's saying they're absolutely filthy. And he's like, ah, they're not, they're not that bad. Let me, let me talk to the borrower. And so he talked to the borrower. And this is, uh, this is another point that I want to make. If, if your goal, if your why is chasing the money, is making money, then whatever gives you the greatest return, you will ignore the red flags because that is your why. And you will take, you will take unnecessary and compromising risk to accomplish that goal, that why, which is only to make money. So if money is, is your goal, is your big why, right? That big, like the reason why you're doing this, you could actually find yourself in a really difficult position like I did. So he calls the borrower. The borrower says, there's nothing like the, the filthy. It's just a little bit of dirt, right? It's just, you know, some municipal liens. It's not a big deal. I've got an attorney that can handle this for us. He'll get it all cleaned up. He'll write what's called, he'll write a letter of opinion. Now I was very naive and still young in the game. And quite frankly, I should have run this by my mentors, but again, arrogance, 
Uh, I've, I felt I was just hot shit. You know, I'm, I'm the man I've, you know, been war. I'm a green beret. Now I'm doing private lending. I've done 20, you know, at this point, I've probably only done about seven loans, but I was steamrolling. I was like, man, this is awesome. So I've got this, I know what I'm doing. And, um, and so I, we talked to the attorney, that attorney, the borrower's attorney was out of state. They were in Virginia. And I'm sure anybody that's been in the business for long, you would say, why, what in the world are you doing, Ed? And I'm telling you, the almighty dollar can absolutely make you blind, especially when you're looking at triple digit returns in an, on an annual basis. You're like, man, I'll just do anything. So um, we moved title out of the current title company. And I, I, I had the uh, gentleman, the attorney, uh, do title. And he handled escrow. Uh, he wrote an opinion letter, which it doesn't mean jack shit. <laughs> like nothing, like an opinion letter won't hold up underwater for anything. All it is, is an attorney's legal way to say, I'm not liable, but I think that the title is clear. That's basically what he said and, and what an opinion letter is. So um, we wired money in. I got the opinion letter. I thought we were good to go. So I had all my investors wire funds into his escrow account. Um you know, it was supposed to be two weeks. So he said, I only need this for two weeks. And then, uh, and then the bank, they're going to, they're going to do the loan. And when they do the loan, the loan is actually for the entire amount, which there was, <laughs> Jesse, there were just so many things like knowing now what I know, it's <laughs> just amazing, man. <laughs> and so two weeks go by, uh, no communication with the borrower. And then on week two, I'm waiting for a payoff demand uh, from the title company. Nothing happens. So I call the broker and, and for the next four weeks, the broker and, and I are going back and forth with the borrower. Sometimes we can get the borrower, but things start to drag out. That's another big red flag, right? So if you're investing and whoever you're investing with or through stops communicating, that is a huge red flag. And don't, don't wait. That's the worst that you could do. Immediately, immediately call an attorney and get them involved and start, start uh, protecting your asset, which is your investment. And so uh, by middle of June, I was going to a conference in, uh, I think it was California. And I was actually meeting with several of the capital investors that had invested in that. And I just had this gut, gut sinking feeling, Jesse. And I was just, I mean, I was praying. I was like, God, give me wisdom. Like, I, I don't know where this is. I, like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just like, something's not right. So I did something that will blow your mind as far as diving into and finding out what happened. I did a Google search. <laughs> if I had done a Google search back in April, I would have run for the hills. So this guy was indicted by the FBI for a Ponzi scheme that he had run. Oh uh, my one, there was an undercover FBI agent that was involved in that Ponzi scheme. It was $2.1 million Ponzi scheme. He was indicted in late May by the FBI uh, for a Ponzi scheme. And so uh, as soon as that happened, I knew that our money was gone. Um, well, not, so here's the thing. It wasn't supposed to be gone. It was supposed to be sitting in escrow at this attorney. So I was like, oh, man. So I called, I tried calling the attorney like over that weekend. Like I was like every hour I was on the phone, just leaving voicemail after voicemail. And I just, man, that gut feeling. And so I did some more research on the attorney. And oh, uh, no, dude, that attorney was involved. Matter of fact, that attorney was named in the indictment. by the Oh, FBI. my God, dude, this is and insane. So, dude, I was <laughs> I was devastated. Like I like I would rather have been in a firefight and I've been in some pretty nasty stuff. I would yeah. have rather been in the worst firefight that I've ever experienced than go through that again. I tell you what. And so here's here's the other thing. So inevitably in everybody's. 
uh, investment journey, you're going to make a mistake. Matter of fact, um, one of my invest, one of my mentors who I asked early in my career, they would invest with me. And he said, uh, Ed, respectfully, you know, I know that you've been taking the knowledge that we've been putting down, you've been picking it up, you've been putting it to work. But until you lose $1 million, I will not invest with you. <laughs> what? Like, you want me to go lose a million dollars? He said, no, you're missing the point. Until you understand the pain that it is to lose a million of your investors money, you will never understand how to truly manage money. And I have to say, I've not lost the money. So we ended up suing uh, four years of litigation. It literally wrapped up in uh, 2019. Uh, nothing came about of it. Well, we spent uh, an additional $150,000 in litigation. Um, it, was, it was a bad deal, man. It was a bad deal. And a lot of lessons learned. Um, thankfully, through that, of the investors that invested with me, most of them have continued to invest with me because... I was able to go, uh, number one, as soon as it happened, uh, that weekend that I found all this out, that Monday, you know, I was getting phone calls and emails from the, hey, where are you at? You're supposed to be out here. Like, we haven't heard from you. What's going on? And so on a Monday evening, I sent an email to everybody that was involved in that deal. And I said, we're having a Zoom call. You need to be on Thursday. Uh, it was the only available time that I had. And, and they all had. And so, and I literally had them all on a call. It wasn't Zoom. I think it was Skype at the time. Um had them all on a call and I was, I just had to lay it out. And I tell you what, man, that was, that was gut wrenching uh, to be honest. Hey guys, you all trusted me and I completely made a bad decision, a, a horrible decision. And, and what saved my relationship with them was I admitted my wrong. I acknowledged that I was the one that had messed up. And then I set forth courses of action. Like in the military, we know these are COAs, right? So you need to have your primary, your secondary, your tertiary courses of action, no matter what. And then you need to have primary, secondary, and tertiary uh, uh, offshoots from those because when the shit hits the fan and you get punched in the face, well, you've got to have additional courses of action, right? So I, I laid before them three courses of action that I had developed during that weekend, and they were pretty detailed. Um, and then it was up to me. I, I reached out, we lined up the attorneys, and I was pretty much the point man through that. And it was tough to go all the way through all of that. Now we've got a we've got the lawsuit. It's it's uh, uh, I forget the terminology now, but it's good. Uh, it's in place until like 2028, uh, 2029. So uh, we have until that time to recoup. We're not going to recoup anything. Uh, that's unfortunately that's just that's that's the nature of the beast. When you get scammed, you get scammed. So yes, you can get scammed as a lender as well. Dude, this story is absolutely insane. First things first, I mean, this dude doing a Ponzi scheme to rip off a Green Beret combat diver. I mean, is this oh, guy, man, is, I'll is tell this you guy what, bro. scared for his life out dude, there? Like, I had, is this guy sleeping at night? <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had, I had looked into all time. I reached out to some guys that I knew. I was like, hey, this is what's happened. Like, I might need some help. And they're like, count me in. And I'm so glad I didn't go that route. But, um, yeah, man, it was, uh, I don't know, like, oh, man, yeah, it was bad. Dude, that's insane. But, I mean, the transparency with the investors afterwards, I mean, you said it was gut-wrenching. What was their initial reaction? Oh. I mean, were they freaking out or were they like, oh, yeah, they, oh, they really? were mad. I, yeah, they were cussing. They were crying. They were, 
you know, you go through all the emotional phases of, of shock, right? And they're, they're shocked and then they're angry and then they're depressed. And it was just this, and it was this uh, roller coaster for the first couple of months. And it was like, you know, for me, I wanted, I wanted to put it out there. And then I just wanted to put my nose down and work and try to get it done. And it was like every day they were, I was getting an email phone call from them from multiple of them. Like, Hey, what's going on? What's going on? It's like, guys, literally we're waiting on the attorney. Like we haven't, I, we haven't even hired an attorney yet. So yeah, that was, man, I tell you what, I would not, I would not wish that. I wouldn't wish that on my not so friendly in, enemy, maybe on my worst enemy, I would wish that on, but I'll tell you what, man, that was, uh, that, that was bad. And it, it, it you know, it, there's a lot of growth that happens through an experience like that. Um, a lot of personal growth, a lot of growth in the way that you look at business. So yeah, since then I've never, <laughs> never been in a position like that again. And I've, again, it like really got back to that. That shook me of that desire of chasing the almighty dollar, chasing that return. And I see that a lot, you know, investors, they come to me like, you know, the first thing out of their mouth is I'm going to make this much money on this deal. And when I hear that, that like within the first five minutes of talking to somebody, I rarely will do the loan with them just because they're not looking at what's in front of them. They are focused on that return and chasing returns is a dangerous business. It's, it's crazy, but I, I mean, super transparent story and the amount of growth, I mean, that has come from this is, has been absolutely incredible, but just the perseverance too, for something like that to happen, Ed, and then for you to continue down this road, dude, that, that alone, dude, is enough to kick people out of this business. I yeah, mean, to I say, I never want to do this I... again. That, you can ask my wife. There were so many nights, like literally, like I'm not, a, I'm not an emotional man. I'm just not, you know, you, you're, you're in the business and you know, you get hurt, whether emotionally or physically or whatever, you just, you suck it up and drive on. But man, there were nights that I was just hold my gut and just ball out. Like I, it, it, did I make a huge mistake getting out of the military and pursuing this? Like, this is, this is not like, this isn't the dream. Like <laughs> nobody wants this. And uh, I tell you what, uh, what pushed me through that was my why. And my why is my belief that God has called me to something greater than, than what I even can see. And for me to, uh, for me to realize that calling, it's going to take some pain. And if you, you know, I, I don't know where you're at. And I don't know where your listeners are at. Uh, I, I would not consider myself a religious man, uh, but I am a follower of Christ, a sold out believer. And you will never find somebody that is committed their life to Christ, and then had an easy life. So where I, I believe that God's called me and the responsibility that he's placed on my shoulders for that calling, uh, it's it's a big responsibility. And, you know, that comes with some some putting into, uh, you know, uh, uh, putting into the crucible, right? And getting all that dross off of you. And that can't happen when everything's going nice and daisy. Like, what was the Navy say? Uh, good sailors are not made in calm seas. Right. So you've got to you've got to go through the crap. You've got to get it all over you and then figure out a way how to get it off and, and continue to push on. Yeah. I mean, this, this story is incredible. And I apologize. I mean, we said before we're going to get down and we're going to chase some rabbits, dude. We haven't even talked scale trading, but right? this story, <laughs> we're already at 50 <laughs> yeah. left. Dude, can I just get your thoughts on like a couple more questions and then we'll wrap this up? And I, I apologize, but that story no, was no, incredible, dude. And I really want to get your thoughts. And you hinted about this a little bit in the beginning, dude, from, you know, when looking at private lending in 2014, 
versus where we're at right now in 2021 with what the economy is doing, the liquidity that the government has injected into the economy. I mean, what are your thoughts, I guess, on the current housing market when it comes to private lending and and what does the future hold in, in your opinion? Granted, nobody has a crystal ball, but I mean, the next two or three years, Adam, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, um, I always follow men that and women that are much smarter than me when it comes to that. I mean, again, I'm not on a big national level. I lend in the state of Florida. Um, we are a correspondent lender. So we have a 30-year rental for the Burr investor or for the investor that simply wants to buy a rental property and, and hold it for wealth. Uh, we've got a product for that, but I'm not, I'm not loaning my money out for that. So I very much believe that the, the greatest mitigation measure that I can have is requiring money in from the borrower. So I refuse to do 100% loans. Like if somebody comes to me, he's like, oh, I've talked to somebody and they can do 100% loan. <laughs> Go talk to them because we're we're not doing that here. Uh, the other thing is having short-term loans. So if you look from 2006, is actually when the housing market started to crash. That's where really the, the red bells and whistles were going off. But by and large, the industry just blindly ignored all that and just continued to say, hey, prices are going to go continue to increase. I mean, it was it was really a, a shame. Um, but so 2006 is when you started to see the bells and whistles go off. You didn't see really the full swing of what was happening until 2008. That's a two-year period of time. So as a private lender, if I keep my loans short, then that allows me to mitigate that risk or, and the greatest risk is the exposure to the market movement, right? You can't control the market, nor can you predict the market, right? I mean, who would have thought that lumber was going to shoot up 200% earlier this year? Nobody. Like, that's just, those things happen. So the greatest thing that we can do to mitigate our risk is ensuring that the borrowers are bringing capital to the table and then having short-term loans. So I have actually scaled, I don't issue 12-month loans. Like there has to be a really good reason and probably the borrower is going to be, or the investor is going to be bringing more money to the table than what they're comfortable with. So I'm not going to do the loan anyway, or they're not going to want to do the loan because they're, it's requiring too much. So where I see the future, I don't know, but I know that I'm taking measures right now to mitigate the risk of a market shifting. And we're keeping a really close eye on a lot of local markets here in Florida. There are a few MSAs or metropolitan statistical areas that right now we've already started to see cool off where everybody else you talk to is like, oh man, this is great. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Uh, there are some other MSAs that markets are increasing, but there's good solid growth underneath that, undergirding it. So it's going to continue to support uh, that growth. It may not be as strong. And honestly, it, I would say with this administration and not to get political, but you know, administrations can either make or break a quarter, uh, a half a year, or even a full annual year. Uh, this administration, uh, you know, they have the ability to uh, either do great things or do horrible things in less than a quarter. So uh, I think keeping short-term loans is a great risk mitigant uh, to the unknown right now. Yeah, I mean, super interesting. And, and just everybody's talking about what, what does the next 12 to 24 months look like? But as we talked about in the beginning with risk and mitigation, I mean, you're just taking every step possible to uh, to ensure that that's happening and, and that you are protected. So I, I just find that super interesting. Um, the last piece, mindset piece I wanted to hit you with and get your thoughts on, you know, Ed, we talked so much about the psychology of winning and what goes into that. I'm curious about the psychology of quitting. And, and again, you've been through very difficult military selection processes. I mean, SFAS, 
um, combat dive school. I mean, you know, selection processes with extremely high attrition rates, you know, what, whether it's a, you know, a military selection process like that, or, or it's the journey to financial freedom, you know, people quit in both. And I'm curious, what have you seen? And, and, and really just a straightforward question in your opinion, Ed, I guess, why do people fall off the train? Why do people quit? And, and what you've seen over your career, I'm curious. Grit. I would say grit. And then self-assessing. Matter of fact, I would say probably self-assessing more than grit. Uh, we saw this a lot in so uh, SFAS or Special Forces Assessment Selection, which is like it was a three week. I think now it's two weeks and sometimes they change it back and forth just depending on on, on the thing, whatever is going on. Uh, selection is all about like you don't get unlike Ranger School uh, where you get a lot of feedback from the instructors. Right. In SFAS, there is no feedback. You don't get any feedback. You don't know if you're doing it right. You don't know if you're doing it wrong. You don't know if you're late. You don't know if you're early. You don't know, like, you don't know anything except for what's written on that whiteboard. And that whiteboard is simply the three basic military uh, parts, right? Time, place, and uniform. That's it. <laughs> That's all you know. So a lot of it was a lot of people, people quit. There are more people that quit SFAS than get that don't get selected. So we started in, uh, when I went through selection, our class started with 431 candidates. And at the end, we had 100 and I want to say 145 candidates. And of those 145, only 80 something got selected. Um, the majority of those people, they self-assessed. They did something wrong. And, and if I can just be honest, when I went through selection, like I thought I was going to, I did, there's like, nah, there's no way I'm going to make it. I literally, uh, I didn't make it to my last point on the star course, which is this massive land nav thing that takes like 12 hours plus. Um, and I was literally a few hundred meters away from the point. And I, 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 time's up, get in the back of the truck. I thought I was done at that point. That's like in day three or four, you do the star course. So for the next week and a half, I had this mental battle why am I even in it? Why am I putting my body through this? Like, what's the point? I'm not, I didn't even make my, my point, my last point in the star course. There's no way I'm going to get selected. Like that, that's, everybody says, if you don't make the star course, you're not getting selected. I get down and I get selected. Like, so I think self-assessing, meaning as uh, you know, you're, you're doing a new business, you're doing a startup, you're, you're starting a, a path in investing and you start self-assessing. Oh man, I messed up here. Oh man, I messed up here. Oh man, I lost this investor's money. Oh man, I lost my money. Uh, oh man, I, I spent all this time and effort in this, in this category, this uh, avenue of my venture and it completely fell flat on my face. You know what? I'm out. Self-assessing goes right back to the grit. That's why I, I think they both are just in tandem. But man, I see more people quit because they don't, they, they literally self-assess themselves out of whatever they're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super interesting. And, and whenever we have someone with your background, I love talking about it, you know, whether it's a military selection process or it's the financial freedom journey, both have high attrition rates. I mean, so many people get into this and, and don't finish the journey. And it's so interesting to examine it from, from the side of the people who don't make it. Why is that? So I, I, I completely, you know, understand and, and can kind of correlate with both of those. So it's really interesting. Uh, we got to wrap up, dude. We're, we're at the end of our time. I apologize. The very last question, 
question. I hit this with everyone, Ed, and I'm super interested because I think you're going to have a unique answer. And, and, and again, you have an awesome career. You've built a phenomenal private lending um, you know, business here. And, and with what you've also done with scale trading, you have an incredible family. You're, you're crushing it down in Florida. Ed Epperson's living the perfect life, brother. I'm curious, what does that look like to you? The perfect life for me is not the perfect life right now, but uh, I spend I spend a lot of time. So my wife is an entrepreneur as well. So uh, we wake up in the morning, uh, not super early. I wake up early uh, just because of my training. Uh, we grab a cup of coffee. We spend some time together uh, just talking about our day, what's going on in our life um, at that point, like what's going on in our mind, because clearly we're around each other a lot. Um, but what's going on in our thoughts and our mind, we spend some time before God, uh, in prayer and reading his word. And then I, I literally work in the house. Like I had an office, you know, I had a nice office downtown Tampa and, uh, it's just, I was like, why? I mean, this is more for show than it is for anything beneficial to me. I can work out of the house and do the same thing. So I just moved the office up here. So now I have more time with my wife. Uh, I'm very protective about my time. So, I work my butt off from nine and from eight in the morning to like six in the evening. But from that, from outside of those hours, I am not working. And during that time, uh, if I'm here or I'll take my wife out and we'll go have a lunch together an hour, hour and a half to do lunch. Now that's not, you know, for some people, like, oh, I couldn't spend that much time with my wife. Um, I am blessed to have a woman that is, uh, I thoroughly enjoy. So uh, I'm protective about that time. And I think for most people, the reason they want financial freedom is to have freedom of time. I have that right now. Uh, I think some people have called it like a, 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 the lifestyle, like they're pursuing a lifestyle. And I, get, I guess that's what you would say that I've, I've decided to pursue is a lifestyle of freedom of time so that I can give back to my community. I can give back uh, to my wife. You know, we have the ability to spend time together. So that's really, really important to me. Yeah, that that's awesome. And, and I can totally, my wife is a rock star. She's a nurse practitioner and, and she's out there on the front lines every day in the hospitals and getting after it in what we're in right now. So dude, I, I appreciate you taking the time, Ed. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal content. Um, what, what you've been able to provide us in the listener base is, is, is awesome, dude. I appreciate your transparency as well. It's not easy to, for anyone to come on and, and talk about losing. I always wonder <laughs> if that's a good idea. Cause I'm like, man, there might've been somebody who's like, I want to talk to him. They hear that they're like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, no, this has been phenomenal. I appreciate it. I mean, for people who do want to reach you, Ed, I, like I said, you have an incredible Facebook group. I highly recommend everybody reach you. What What are the best platforms to reach you on and, and how can people get a hold of you after this? So I've got a LinkedIn, but I don't really check it that much. Uh, I guess I should. Um, probably the best way is just email. Um, I'm, I'm pretty protective about my Facebook. So people that are like, I'm connected with on Facebook or people I've personally met or I have developed some type of relationship with them. So, uh, you know, if you reach out to me and just want to connect, I'm, I'm going to decline uh, the invite. That's just uh, a policy of mine. Uh, but you can always reach out via email. Uh, you can reach out uh, either through my lending company, which is Blue Bay Capital. So it's uh, the, you know, go Facebook Blue Bay Capital FL. Uh, that's our, our company page. And then the group that you've been mentioning, and I'm sure some of your, uh, some of your listeners were hoping we would get into this, the scale trading, it's called uh, crypto and stock trading. So if you've looked that group up on Facebook, you can join that and look at some of the things that we're doing as far as investing in crypto. 
Ed, I, I can't wait to have you back on and, and we could crush this skill trading. And, and whenever that is, 90 days from now, you know, yeah. six months from now, I mean, who knows where the world will be at even in right. there. So it'll be, <laughs> it'll make it even more interesting, brother. But again, I, I appreciate the time. I, I know it's family time right now for you. So for you to take time out of your evening to do this means a lot. I mean, the hair, the beard, the suit, it all looks perfect, brother. I appreciate you tonight, Ed. I try thanks, to get Ed. the John Wick look going on. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> thanks again for the time. I appreciate it and, and can't wait to have be back on. Absolutely, brother. Hang loose, brother. Yep. See ya. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.